as you were singing those songs, it just, I just had this, uh, this vision or this imagination that all of us are gathered around the throne singing about the blood. The angels would listen to it and go, well, I saw what happened, but we really can't connect with this because we're not covered by that blood. But we have a song of the redeemed, and that's what those songs are, is the song of the redeemed. How many is thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you will, I'd like you to turn, uh, oh, have your Bibles opened up to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to go there in just a moment. But as I said earlier, uh, as, as uh, Lorenzo and I were talking, we're describing the different you know, decorations that are out there for Halloween and all of that. And certainly uh, that's one of so many different things that are going on in the world today where it feels like that things are ramping up exponentially. Um, in, in, in the areas of evil and just compromise and things going against what God's word says. Good is being spoken of as evil and evil spoken as good. Up is down, black is white, all of those different things. You know, it's just completely turned upside down. Uh, and what I can say is for a fact that is the, Lord is sure, the Lord sure is giving us a world that's easier to let go of. Amen? And I want to talk about that this morning for just a few moments. Um, and I want to ask a question of you, and this is actually the title of the message, and I'd love for you to write this down and, and take some notes this morning. You know, we can remember a whole lot more if we write it down. You can listen to it, and it can kind of go in here and one out the other, and it may grab hold of some in some regard. But if you'll get out a piece of paper and a pen, or if you've got your phone out and you've got that little notes app and you can take some notes, I would encourage you to write these things down. And then that way you can refer to them later and you can really start considering it. But the question I want to ask you this morning is, are you reluctant for the rapture? Reluctant, that's the key word there. Uh, the rapture is going to take place. That is where Jesus is going to come from heaven on the clouds. He's going to catch his bride, the church, away. A trumpet's going to sound, an angel's going to shout, the Lord's going to call us up, the dead in Christ will be raised first, and we who alive and remain will be caught up to be with the Lord forever. That's what the rapture is. And it's going to happen, whether we like it or not, whether we're ready or not, it's going to happen, and I believe it's going to happen very soon. It has to. There's too many things that are happening so quickly in the world today that point to the signs of the times of the return of the Lord as God's word lays it out for us. If you know anything about prophecy in God's word, every single thing that the Lord says will happen before the return of the Lord is happening now all at the same time and exponentially increasing in, in, uh, in intensity and in, in occurrence. Uh, so I ask you again the question this morning, are you reluctant for the rapture? And, and, and I want to just kind of rest in that for a little bit and talk about three different things here this morning uh, about uh, about what I'm talking about by being reluctant. I know that for, for many Christians, the world uh, holds no draw really anymore for those of us who are anticipating the rapture and considering the glory of heaven. Some of us long to be gone from here, even if we're still a little maybe uncertain as to maybe what is awaiting us in heaven. I've been talking about this over the last several weeks, and today is our last Sunday to consider these things. 
so uh, let, let's figure out what reluctance is all about. We've looked in the last few weeks about reasons why some of us might be afraid of what's coming. And if you missed last Sunday, uh, I want to encourage you to listen to it. There's nothing to be afraid of about the rapture. There's nothing to be afraid of about heaven. In fact, there's everything to be excited about. Amen? Amen. So I encourage you to listen to last week's message uh, on our website if you missed it to kind of help you to uh, maybe if there's some fear in you about the rapture and about heaven. But this week I want us to look at one last aspect of, of the rapture that believers in Jesus deal with and maybe possibly even some of us here today and if you're watching here from home as well, maybe you're uh, ears are perking up right now. Maybe there's a little bit of, of reluctance in your heart. Many have a reluctance to want the rapture to occur because they're still hanging on to this world. It's interesting that 2 Timothy 4.8 talks about this, is, is that there's going to be this incorruptible crown of righteousness awarded for those who long for his appearing. But meeting the church today would rather hang on to their rusting and moth-ridden Articles that they've worked so hard to attain and by the way those things can readily be stolen by thieves and They can never be taken with them Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6 in fact I want us to look at the amplified version uh, of this starting in verse 20 and Jesus is addressing the crowds He's saying to us today don't store up yourselves material treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart, in other words, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers, will be also. So I ask a question of you today, is that you? Are you still holding on to the things of this earth? Are you, uh, I want to ask you, what does your life center on? Are you reluctant to let go of all of those things that you've worked so hard to attain for what God has prepared for you? You have to let go of this in order to grab hold of that. It's just beyond our reach and we've got to let go of this. I was speaking to a man the other day who had retired he retired a couple of years ago, and uh, they've lived in the same house for about 50 years. I asked him how he spent his extra time now that he is retired, and he said, he laughed and chuckled, and he said, well, he went from one full-time job to another because now he works on repairing and keeping up his 50-year-old house. You remember that show? It's still, on, it's still on today, but the host of it back in the day was Monty Hall, Let's Make a Deal. How many remembers that version of Let's Make a Deal? And the lady that standing in front of the curtain, Carol Merrill, you remember her? I'll just remember that name forever for some reason. It just sticks to me. But Monty Hall and Carol Merrill, the scenario was <clears throat> that Monty would make a deal with people that were dressed up in goofy outfits in the audience. Sometimes he'd give them a few hundred dollars. And they would get all excited because they'd earned nothing. They'd earned it. They didn't even earn it. He just got, got some money for them. And then he would turn and say, now you can keep that money or you can give it back to me and take what's behind this curtain that Carol is standing in front of. Now, as you know, the whole dynamic of that was that sometimes there would be a greater gift. Maybe the $300 that they had in their hand would be exchanged for a car or a or a boat, or maybe a trip, or some 
beautiful articles of uh, expensive articles maybe for a, for the home but sometimes there would be a what a zonk a zonk in other words it was a dud prize worth absolutely nothing and they'd lose not only the money that they had in their hand but they would walk away empty-handed and and there's the scenario of that show on that show there was always a 50-50 a chance that someone would get a zonk but with God you're 100% guaranteed a better offer. If you'll take that $300 that's in your hand, those items that you've worked so hard to attain, the, the reputation, the title, the material goods, all of the stuff, the comforts of this earth, and if you'll simply let go of them, God behind that curtain called heaven has something that you can't even imagine. I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to let go of the prize in your hand for what's behind the curtain that God has prepared for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 talks about this in the New King James Version. It says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have it, has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You use your imagination and you take all the imaginations of all the billions of people on the earth and put it all together. And it still would pale in comparison to what God has prepared for you and me, the bride of Christ, one day in heaven. Your eyes have not seen it. Your ear hasn't heard it. And whether you can imagine it or not, whatever you can imagine, you go ahead and use your imagination. If you're picturing even something grand in your mind, I want to tell you this morning that it's greater than what you're imagining. It's interesting, though, that we hold on so tightly and expend our greatest energies on the things that we'll never be able to take with us. And further, it makes us even maybe reluctant to want to go to heaven. So today I want to look at three reasons, maybe as to maybe some three big reasons of why maybe some of us are reluctant to go to heaven. And it all has to do with matters of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 talks about our hearts. I love the book of Proverbs. This is one of the scriptures that speaks to us this morning. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now, there's a couple of absolutes in here that I want to point out. It says, above all else. Not above most else. Not above half of the things that you're considering in your life. But above all else. Say that word with me, all. All. All is all. That means it's the top consideration. Everything underneath it falls in place, but above all else, guard your heart. It doesn't say to guard your wealth. It doesn't say to guard your reputation. It doesn't say to guard your future in any possible way like that of your creature comforts. It says to guard your heart. <clears throat> guard your heart above all other things in your life. Guard your heart. And here's the other absolute, for everything, not most everything, not some things, but everything. Say that with me. Everything, everything that you do, everything that you do flows from your heart. So the first heart issue that I want us to look at this morning is this. Write it down. Heart breaking. <clears throat> now this one, this first one, by the way, isn't really a bad thing. How many has ever had your heart broken over a sad situation that you read about or that you see? 
right? You see someone maybe get in a car accident or somebody on the news that, that they lost a loved one because of a tragic crime or something. Doesn't your heart break? You hear about stories, you read about situations and your heart breaks. There's nothing wrong with your heart breaking. In fact, that's a very noble, very loving and very Christ-like emotion to feel, to have a heart breaking. It's really a compassion. It's a, it's a moving towards the people and the situations that they're in. But if we're not careful, it, it, that, that, that emotion that is really a noble, good Christ-like thing will actually make us reluctant to want to go to heaven. What do you mean, Pastor Brian? Well, let me describe it to you today. <clears throat> what could break our hearts today more than, say, a spouse, a parent, a grandparent, a friend, a child? What could, what could make our hearts break more than any of those people and the thought that we would have that when the rapture comes, that those loved ones would be left behind? Think about that for just a moment. You know who I'm talking about. Your loved ones that you know are not serving Jesus today. You know that they've ran off as the prodigal son and done whatever they wanted to do and they're still living in sin. They're in complete rebellion and rejection of Christ. You raise them well. They know the gospel. You know they know the gospel, but they've made the choice. And you know that the rapture is getting ready to take place. You know that the Lord is getting ready to return. And you know that unless a miracle happens and they make a decision for Christ, that they're going to be left behind. And it breaks your heart. We read in the book of Revelation what our lost friends and family will endure in the tribulation. And it's enough to put fear and dread in us that can keep us up at night. It's evident to us as believers that Jesus could come soon at any moment. And those we love would be left behind. So what can we do? I know that we can't force salvation upon them. All we can do is speak into their lives. And we can continue to share Jesus with them. And let them know what's coming. And model for them what this is all about. And if Jesus comes. And those that you care about are left behind. I take comfort. And I want you to take comfort in this. That we can be assured that based on our clearly sharing with them of what God's word says, they know what the rapture and the tribulation is and they'll be right in the middle of it. So when it's happening, you have every reason to hope today that they will immediately call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. That helps me. That helps me to not be so reluctant today to say, Lord, even so come Jesus, even so come Lord, because even though I know that they're going to be left behind, I know that I planted seeds. I know that they know what God's word says. And it's not going to make me want to hold on to this until they get saved, because sometimes people just don't get saved until they are kind of at their end, right? And I can't imagine being more at your end than you're in the tribulation. Not only as they receive the Lord in the rapture or in the tribulation and they make that decision. You can get saved, by the way, in the tribulation. It's going to be much more challenging for you. Let me just say this for anybody that's considering wanting to just live the way that they want to live now and say, well, hey, I can always get saved in the tribulation. Pastor's telling me I can do it. So I think I'll just do what I want to do now. Not a good idea. 
The Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth. Right now, we have the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sins. He's drawing us to Christ. Once the rapture of the church takes place, the church will be removed. So the gospel will cease to be preached in its, uh, in its uh, abundance that it is now. And the Holy Spirit will also be removed from the earth so there will be no conviction of sins. There will just be this determination and this knowledge in our heads. I've got to get saved. I've got to accept Jesus. And as you do and when you do, the Bible clearly describes that you'll be martyred for your faith. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be killed, tortured. It'll be an awful, awful situation for many who receive Jesus after the rapture. But if one of your loved ones are in that situation and they do make a decision for Christ in the tribulation, not only will they uh, be assured that as they die for Jesus and as they stand up for Jesus, uh, but they also, before they get in that situation, and let's not hope that that happens, but more, 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 mostly they probably will, that can still be before that a mighty and powerful voice where they can also tell others of what's happening and whom to call upon. Think about it. This is what's going on. My mom, my dad, my, my, my wife, my husband, my, 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 my uncle, my, my loved one told me about this. And this is what God's Word says. See, here's their Bible. Here's where they marked it. This is what I know is going on right now. This is who the Antichrist is. This is what's going to happen. These things that are happening are called plagues. They're called curses. They're called the wrath of God. And the Bible says if we do this, then we're going to be saved. So they can witness to other people during the tribulation. When those that are left behind witness these hopefully billions of people, including us, being taken away with all the deception and all the web of lies that the powers of darkness will use to explain away our disappearance, it'll be your loved one's moment. And they're going to cry out loudly the name of the Lord. So we must confidently believe that they will boldly tell others to do the same at the risk of death. And everything we do on this side of the rapture can prepare our loved ones. Who, for whatever reason, reject him now to stand up boldly for Jesus and lead others to, to him. Now, I know this isn't necessarily a quick fix. It's not really even a fix at all because they're not getting saved on this side of the rapture. But it's my hope to give you a different way to deal with the reluctance that you have in your heart over the rapture as it relates to your loved ones and what it's going to mean for your lost loved ones in your lives. It's really, I want to just encourage you to let it be your prayer and your hope that when that moment comes, that they're going to remember your influence and stand that we've taken on this side of the rapture and that they will do likewise on that side of the rapture. May our words and actions now be their training ground for the stand that they may soon be forced to take. So with that said, it begs another question for us today. Is your life one that is influential to the lost around you? Would your friends and loved ones know to stand in this way if they're left behind? I don't know about you, but I never feel like I say or do enough. So it really can't be based on feelings. It really needs to be based on actions. I think it's good to plant the question in our hearts so that we can determine if we're speaking up in boldness when given the opportunity, if we're risking rejection and ridicule, if we're, if we're, if we're, if we're not shrinking back in fear, but instead we're, we're standing up when someone might say or do something uh, to us as we stand up for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit can help you with this today. And I would encourage you now that is the time to speak. Now is the time to take the stand. Now is the time to be the example to your friends, to your loved ones. We can hope 
all will be saved before the rapture. But the reality is that not all will make that decision for Jesus on this side of the, of the rapture. And they may not feel like a real great big statement of faith here this morning, but I am a man of faith, but I'm also a man of very much of a reality that some people just won't receive Jesus on this side of the rapture. And while this is all heartbreaking, <clears throat> we, can take, we can do something about it by preparing uh, as best as we can those who are, who are in our heart circles, those that we love so much, for the moment that they can take the stand when it's their moment to do so. So, I know this is our first end-of-world scenario here, so <laughs> we're doing the best that we can as we learn. So let's just not get comfortable on the sidelines. And let's not just do nothing. Let's rather step into the role that God has for us, plan for us, and, and base our unique voice and gifts to those people that we love. So that's a heartbreaking scenario. And that may keep us from wanting to go to heaven right now because we want all of our loved ones to be saved. There's a reluctance that's there. Here's the second thing about our heart that maybe <clears throat> is a little more intense, and that is heart-taking. We've got a heart-breaking. We also have our heart-taking. Now, how many believers do you know whose hearts have been captive, have been taken captive by the world? I don't mean they're all sinful things necessarily, because there's some good idols and some bad idols out there. Good idols and bad idols. But really, they're more enamored by the glittering things of this world than they are the glories of heaven. Those people that maybe you know who are so entrenched in this world, whether focused on good or bad things, likely appear the same to God when he looks upon them because really they're all idols to him. And idols are not good. The Old Testament passage describes the nation of Israel, but also describes the present-day American church, Jeremiah 2.27. I want you to listen to this. For they have turned, this is God speaking about the nation of Israel, really talking about us too. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. Think about that. I believe that we as a church in this current generation that we're in, in this time right before the return of the Lord, are more so turning our backs on God. He sees more of our back than he sees our, 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 our face, you know? Think about that. If you were to talk to someone and, you know, Jim, if you were to stand right up here in front of me and you just turn your back on me and I'm talking to the back of your head, I mean, that's weird. It's rude. And it's, um, and it's really disrespectful. It's not honoring me as I'm talking to you. Jim, I'm trying to talk to you. Turn around. I don't want to because I'm looking at it some other things that are more interesting to me. And that's kind of how it is with our relationship with God as it relates to the scripture here. We've turned our back. I, I, you still acknowledge me. I, you still like me. You still you know, think I'm a pretty good guy. But really, you're more interested in things that are out there. If you really thought the most of me, you would turn and face me. But here's what you're going to do, Jim. And if I can continue to pick on you as an example. Say you're standing here in front of me and you're facing away from me. But you get in trouble. I need some help. I need some help. I need some help. Yeah, your hand's out to me. Would you help? But it's not because your back's to me. You know, and so that's what this scripture is saying is, is that we, we tend to serve God 
in such a way and believe in Jesus in such a way where it's kind of a break glass in case of emergency sort of relationship where we, 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 we like him there as an emergency sort of savior but we're really not in relationship with him because the idols that are out there whether they're good or bad are more important to us and so this is what was going on in the in, in Jeremiah's day and this is absolutely what's going on today and it's not changed by the way from Jeremiah to today there's always been a people like that that in times of troubles when we finally turn to God but otherwise our backs to him we still like him a lot we still think he's a pretty cool dude but we're really not in relationship with him so here's the question we need to ask ourselves in this as it relates to this passage has Jesus seen your back more often than he's seen your face or really to put it another way, what is taking your heart? It could be those good idols, it could be bad idols, but they're all, they all fall under the category of deceptive temptations that steal our hearts and make us more reluctant to go to heaven and want to stay here instead. It's a heart-taking situation. Let's look at some good idols for just a moment. Those idols, are really those who are reluctant for the rapture to occur for this reason, Maybe they have educations to pursue. That's a, that's a good idol. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, that's a, that's a good pursuit. Let's put it that way. Maybe they have careers to develop. Nothing wrong with developing your career. Kids to raise. Send off to college. Yes, please do that. And stop giving us the bill for them, by the way. Hey, there's that one, okay? I just tucked it in there. Maybe you have grandbabies to spoil. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you have some retirement accounts to set aside. Maybe you have some dreams to chase. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if that comes before your relationship with God, it becomes an idol. Those people, that kind of world, it's not easy to let go of. If I can just, if I can just, if I can just graduate, if I can, if I can just get married, if I can, if I can just see my grandbabies, if I can just uh, retire, it, we always have these thresholds. We always have these, these, these finish lines to cross, and these goals to reach. And they can become idols to us if we're not careful. Now, we may agree that this world is filled with ever-rising evil, but we also may say, but it's really not quite bad enough quite yet just to leave here. Because my grandbabies are just so cute. <laughs> and they are. We have some very cute grandbabies. <laughs> Can I show you some pictures? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> next week. We'll do it next week. <laughs> we still want to pursue the American dream. We still want to see our kids grow up. We still want to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing really sinful about them. But I want to read to you a, a, a quote from C.S. Lewis that describes uh, what this is doing to us. He wrote, we are half-hearted creatures. In fact, this should be up on the screen. Fooling around with earthly ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So I might say it this way, clinging to family and a future here on earth rather than an eternity with Jesus are simply idols, good as they are, that make us reluctant to want to be with Jesus. 
And as we were invited to consider last week, maybe we truly don't know who this Jesus is that's really coming for us. And I want to say for those who weren't here last week, I'll give you a little, um, little taste of what was last week, is that let's not get to heaven one day and stand before Jesus. And in your understanding of him, he'd be, him be fairly a total stranger to you. Let's get to know Jesus now. And that'll make us excited to see him. Listen to last week's message. And you'll see what I'm talking about more fully. I think the more that we know Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, the more that we pursue relationship with him now, the more the things of this earth, as that old song says, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So let's untether our hearts from the good idols, from those things that we're pursuing, that we're putting before God, and let's make and those things that are making our hearts reluctant to be with Jesus, because one day there's a beautiful holiday at the sea that God has for us that, that's awaiting you, that far exceeds those mud pies that you're treasuring today. Now, those are good idols, good idols. Let's talk about some bad idols for a second. Uh-oh. There are some good idols out there that tether our hearts. There's also some bad idols that sever our hearts from Jesus and keep us reluctant for the rapture because we know that we're just not living right. Now, I don't have time to cover them all today, and you're probably thinking, well, thank the Lord for that. But I don't think I really need to because we know those elusive things in this world that are captivating our hearts. We've been held captive at one time or another by the lies of the prince of this world and the sins that so easily entangle us. And Hebrews 12, 1 encourages us with this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So for some now, that's what motivates their reluctance of the rapture because the notion of getting caught with their hand in the proverbial cookie jar scares them to death. A life lived with active, intentional, unrepentant sin is not a life that shouts, come Lord Jesus. It does say, come Lord Jesus later on, but not right now. Is that you today? Are you in dread of the rapture? Are you reluctant for the rapture to take place because you know that you'll be found wallowing in the mud, making mud pies rather than marching toward the sea? We all know the story of Jonah. He was told by God to go to the people of Nineveh to repent or they would be punished. Jonah was reluctant to obey. And so God prepared this giant fish some would call him a whale to swallow Jonah alive. Imagine yourself in this belly of a giant fish. Here's Jonah. It's a funny description. I'm going to read it to you. It's while in the belly of this great fish, Jonah prayed that while on the surface, this prayer, as he prayed, while on the surface, it speaks to Jonah's situation. Uh, really, it speaks to any of us who might be trapped by these bad idols that we've allowed ourselves to be entangled by. Jonah 2. Uh, Verse 2 starts off this way. Listen to it. This is Jonah's cry. He's praying in the belly of this fish, by the way. It's not like he's sitting there by the shore writing this down casually. He's somewhere in the, in the deep. 
floating around in the belly of this fish, seaweed, smelly stuff, you know. And he's crying out to God. In my distress, I called to the Lord. That sounds very politely, a polite way of putting it. In my, in my distress. Yeah, I should say so. And he answered me. From, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, and seaweed was wrapped around my head. I love that part. Can you just imagine this? <laughs> it's kind of like this, you know, seaweed, you know, like the ninja thing kind of hanging off seaweed. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath bared me, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I want you to underline this if you have it in your Bible, this next line here, this next sentence. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God, from God's love for them. Just underline that. Let's continue. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. God heard his prayer. God heard his cry. God saw his heart. God saw the repentance of them of, of Jonah, knew that he turned back to him, knew that he would follow in obedience to him, and therefore the Lord heard Jonah's cry and commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Just spit them on out. Now those bad idols that you're serving, that act of sin in which you're engaging, are really what Jonah described, worthless and destructive idols. And, and they have you hopelessly and completely trapped just as surely as Jonah was. There's no way that Jonah could have got out of that situation all by himself. He was not only in the belly of a giant fish, but he's in the depths of the ocean. And it sounds like he was hogtied by some seaweed, too. But just as God had this giant fish spew Jonah out after Jonah cried out to God, God can do the same for you. He can rescue you today, right now, before you leave here today. Those who cling to worthless idols are actually turning away from God's love for them. It goes back to God seeing us more of our backs than our faces as we talked about a moment ago. You cannot face a worthless idol while at the same time facing God. It just can't be done. Joshua confronted the people of his generation with the same choice. We read this in Joshua chapter 24, a very familiar scripture starting in verse 14. He's speaking to the children of Israel who were at a place of decision. And he said, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods, those worthless idols. Throw away the gods of your ancestors that they worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And instead, serve the Lord. But, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, those worthless gods, those bad idols that your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates that'll, that'll keep you trapped and, and, and bring you to a place of certain doom? Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you're living? But 
As for me and in my house, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. Yeah? Yeah? Amen? Amen. Today, how many saying instead of the things of this world, I choose to serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, by the way, it's a daily choice. We can choose to do this today, and that's good. Let's choose to do it today. But these things sneak up on us, don't they? So we need to be diligent. Let's not look around and be surprised at the subtle seaweed of the enemy that's wrapped its temptations around our head, which, by the way, is our thoughts, you know? Think about what's going on, that seaweed wrapped around his head. Something's going on with our thought life that moves us into places of action that will trap us in a place that we don't even want to be if we're not careful. And, the, and those subtle seaweed of the enemy that wraps itself, it's a temptations that wrap itself uh, around our minds and around our hearts, and they trap us. So instead, choose Jesus today. As you just said a moment ago, amen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose Jesus today, amen? amen. But then also choose Jesus tomorrow, amen? amen? And then also choose Jesus the next day, amen? And then the next day, amen? And then the next day, amen? And then the next day, and then the next day, until Jesus returns, every day choose Jesus, amen? amen. And then for all of eternity, amen? amen? Let's be found faithful when Jesus comes to take us to heaven. 1 John 2.28 really says it so well. Now, little children, abide in him. What does abide mean? Live, reside, rest, stay just don't leave from him. Abide in him continually so that when he appears, in other words, when the rapture takes place, when you stand before him at that beam of judgment seat, when you're with him for all of eternity, that you can have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. I mean, that, that, that says everything, doesn't it? I don't want to be ashamed when Jesus returns. I want to know that I've I mean, I'm under that blood, you know. I, I'm under that blood. I, I'm not perfect, but I'm saved, you know. I, I'm not perfect, but I'm, be, I'm redeemed. I'm not perfect, but the Lord is sanctifying me. I'm not perfect, but I'm a righteous child of God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done. And I can stand boldly before God Almighty saying, I know that it wasn't anything I did, but it's everything that Jesus did. And all you see, God, is the blood of Jesus. And that is all I need. Amen. Amen. So if your back is to the Lord and your hands are clinging to worthless idols, you need only to let go of those idols and to turn around and face Jesus. No matter how tempting the world seems, no matter how much those things are dangling in front of you, it's all a lie. And the truth, his name is Jesus, is on the way to claim you for all of eternity. So don't greet your Savior in shame. So we have those things that break our hearts. We have those things that make us reluctant to be with Jesus because of those loved ones that will be left behind. We also have those things that take our hearts, those good and, and bad idols that we place in front of, of Jesus that make us reluctant to be with him. I want to look at one more thing here. It's a heart faking. Heart faking. If you realize what we're starting with is we have this heart breaking, which is really a tender, compassionate sort of emotion that says, man, I don't want my loved ones to be left behind. Then we have these heart taking, which is kind of somewhere in the middle, where it's like, you know, there's some good and bad things here, and I just don't want anything to come in 
between me and you, God. But now we're going to get right over here to the heart faking, which really on the other end of the spectrum, and that's this um, sort of person. A heart faker, whether they realize it or not, is likely to cling to a mixture of good and bad idols. It's someone who's going through the motions of being a Christian, but at the core of who they are, they're not walking closely enough with Jesus to have developed a heart that loves as he loves. That's a heart faker. Oh, I'm a believer in Jesus. I love Jesus. But do you love others? Do you love as he loves? They may not even have what they would call a reluctance over the rapture. Maybe they're excited about the rapture. But maybe they should, since they, maybe they're not walking in sincerity before, and maybe they should be a little more concerned. I can't help but feel that there are more people than not in the church who are maybe this way. They love Jesus at a five on a scale of about one to ten. They love him because he gave his life for them and shed his blood for them. And because they've accepted him into their hearts, they get to go to heaven one day. They got their salvation now. They go to church. They do some of the church stuff and generally live a good and clean and wholesome life. But they, but the, but the, but they haven't really moved the needle much past that. Their love for him hasn't grown. Their relationship with him hasn't grown. They're just kind of stuck at five. And frankly, they're perfectly fine with five. You ever talk to someone like that? You can sound the alarm and you can speak excitedly about the rapture. And you get something that ranges from an indifferent shrug to maybe a slight smile. Yeah, I know Jesus is coming back and I'm going. That's it. There's neither a passionate urgency nor an overwhelming excitement in their response. And the big tell is how they feel about those that they love and those that they know, those that they work with, those that they go to school with, who are going to be left behind. Instead of being concerned or burdened on this end of the spectrum, instead they laugh it off and they shrug it off by saying, well, what do I care? I'll be gone. What kind of person cares nothing for those who will face the most horrific time known to man? A time that's so treacherous that if the Lord doesn't cut it short, the Bible says that no life would be left at all. I'll tell you the kind of person. It's a heart faker. It reminds me of a story in Isaiah. Isaiah 39, King Hezekiah was a heart faker. He was a man who had faithfully walked in obedience to God throughout his life. So he's a good man. But he made a grave error in Isaiah 39. Because of that error... He was warned by the prophet Isaiah that the days would come when his house and all that he had built, including some of his own sons, would be carried off into captivity into Babylon. But Hezekiah revealed his heart when he responded in Isaiah 39.8 to what Isaiah had just described as going to happen to his family and loved ones. He said, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Stop right there. So Hezekiah said, what you just said to me, that my sons and my loved ones are going to be taken off into captivity, that's a good word. Doesn't that sound a little hard and selfish and self-centered? He said, that's a good word. And then it says, then he'd crawl into his mind. It says, for he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. So what he was saying was this, hey, as long as it's going to be good for me, and after I breathe my last and that happens and it's not going to affect me, I'm good. That's a heart faker. Translation is, what do I care? I'll be gone. How can any believer who professes to love Jesus and walk sincerely with him not cast a thought in the direction of those who will be left behind? I have to believe there's one of two reasons. 
The first one, I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt that feels this way. There's a description in Revelation of uh, who's describing Revelation as troubling people that are troubled in their minds that some won't even allow themselves to ponder on it and consider that those that are left behind it. The, the idea is this, is that they're sticking their heads in the sand. I don't even want to know. La, 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 la. Yeah. They're just sticking their heads in It's just, just not going to deal with it. The other side of it is they're not sticking their head in the sand. They're actually sticking their nose up in the air. They're, they're truly selfish. They're, they're so set on themselves that they genuinely don't care what happens to others. People with this heart reveal the fakeness of their profession and expose the shallowness of their relationship with Jesus. They're just stuck on five or maybe less. Or how can someone who walks closely with Jesus not have and develop a heart for others? If that's you today, there's hope. You don't have to stay there. Now, I, 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 the first is easier to accept the head in the sand. The second's more about burying. Uh, the second one is a little hard, hard to, uh, to accept because it exposes arrogance and hardening of heart. But really, both of them need to be dealt with today. So if you're in any way identifying with a heart faker, head in the sand or nose up in the air, then I urge you to pray and ask God today. Ask Jesus to burden your heart for the lost like never before. Don't be a heart faker anymore. Don't be selfish. Ask God to forgive you of your arrogance and open your eyes to see the harvest field, to see the lost. And to also ask God to give you compassion for the lost and to win them at any cost. I want you to have that same compassion. Jesus modeled it for us. In fact, as he was looking out over the city of Jerusalem, before he was being right before he was going to be crucified, in Matthew chapter 23, he looked out and he cried this cry. It wasn't just words. It was from his heart. He was grieving. He was compassionate. He was longing and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Can you hear the compassion there? Oh, if you just listen, if you would just make a respond to my love. That's that same compassion that Jesus wants us to have to our Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in our community. I hope that you feel the same way about those around you that Jesus loves and died for. As believers, I believe that we are the generation, that last example of who Jesus is, that the lost will see before the return of the Lord. So I ask you this morning, are you genuine? Do you love others? What are we telling those around us about Jesus with our lives, our actions, and our beliefs? Church, don't be a heart faker today. Care for, have compassion for, and love those around you with the love of Jesus. One more quick thought before we close here today. 1 Peter 5.3, Peter is talking about the care of the church, but I want to take this scripture and apply it in just another subtle way little tweak of it. He says at the end of this scripture, he says, providing but proving to be examples to the flock. Prove to be examples to the flock. Be examples to the flock. But if we can just take that word flock, which means that we would consider people that are believers. But I would say let's be examples to those that are um, future believers, to those that are the unborn again right now. But 
one day will be. Those who may find salvation during the tribulation because of our love and care for them today as we go back to this heartbreaker uh, example that we talked about a few moments ago. And I was thinking about this this week as I was really putting this message together and it just kind of just started working in me. And I, I think I'm going to do this. Uh, imagine the rapture takes place and, and, and we're gone. Kelly and I are gone and, and the house is, you know, our house is empty uh, of human beings, but there's still food there. There's still warm beds there. There's still uh, semblance of safety there. I'm not going to need that house anymore. You know, we're not going to need it anymore. We're not the food that's there. They're welcome to it, you know, but maybe too in that house, in our house, maybe I'll write some sort of note and put it in a conspicuous place where it can be seen by whoever would want to break in. Feel free, break in, do whatever you want to do, use that. But I don't want to have a note there with some clear instructions as to what just took place where the food is, all that sort of stuff. I mean, let's go ahead and just lay out everything that's there, you know. But also share with them the salvation plan. Say, now this is what happened. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they're total strangers to me. I'm sure they would be. I don't know. It's not people necessarily that I've spoken into their lives on this side of it, but people that would end up in my home on that side of it. Maybe they might read it. Maybe they might go, Wow. This is laid out pretty clearly. It's kind of like the final act of love, you know? It's almost like a last will and testament, but for those that would read it at the end after I'm in heaven, I, I think I'm just going to do that. I'm going write to a, write a note, put it in a, in a place where I think they would look, and just leave it there. Maybe make it a just-in-case-I-disappear-read-this-on-the-envelope sort of thing, you know? <laughs> Something like that. I don't know if it would make a difference, but who knows? I think it's worth a few minutes and a little bit of effort on our part, don't you think? Sure, why not? So as we wrap this series up, I hope that's helped you maybe to prepare your hearts a little bit more clearly for heaven and, and for the rapture. If you're reluctant for the rapture because your heart is breaking, because your heart is being taken, or maybe you're heart faking it, I hope that maybe you'll look at your heart today and any of those areas maybe that the Lord is speaking to you I ask you does it break for those that you know that are going to be left behind if so then know that the seeds you plant now in their lives will produce fruit of salvation if they're left behind that's what we have to hope is your heart taken by those good and bad idols are you putting things before the Lord let go of those mud pies <laughs> those silly little mud pies and look forward to the golden shores of heaven. It's on the way. You can't even imagine what he's prepared for you.